Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back. Today I wanted to do a little bit of a different episode and this will give you an overview a bit into my health history. I'm constantly getting emails and DMs asking about what's been going on with me. So I know that I'm pretty nosy as well and I like to know what people are going through, especially if it's something similar to what you're dealing with. And this will also give you insight into some of the functional lab tests that I use um, and how amazing they are and how insightful um, they can be compared to conventional medical tests. If you've had blood work done, you've probably been told everything's fine, even though you're dealing with fatigue or anxiety. You can't lose weight, you have skin issues, you have hair loss. So these three, three tests are just a few of the ones that I use in practice. Um, and I wanted to go through my results. Bear in mind that they're pretty bad. <laughs> well, compared to what they have been in the past, like not too bad, but this is all as a result of my mold exposure. It really messed up my health. I think this has been at play for many years, but over the past um, couple of years, at least it's been really affecting my hormones, my gut, my immune system, as you're gonna see. So I, I wanna let you know that your results may not be as bad as these, but they might be worse. And you can't just go off your symptoms because I'd say at the moment, I'm not too symptomatic. Um, I have been experiencing over the past couple of weeks, her loss, which I spoke about on Instagram the other day, but I've dealt with her loss three times previous as well. So the first time it was when I was around 18 due to overexercising and undereating, obviously not feeling my body enough because I wanted to quote, tone up, lose weight at the gym. The second time was when I went, when I came off the pill, I went on the pill because of my hair loss and my acne. And then when I came off, I experienced the androgen rebound where you start, um, your body has to start doing it again on its own. And it can cause male hormones like testosterone, DHA to really spike up because they've been suppressed for so long. And then that triggered my skin again and my hair loss. The third time was when I was really underweight because of my gut. So I was multiple um, foods. I was sensitive to multiple foods. I was restricting my diet, but not because of my body image this time. It was because I physically couldn't eat and tolerate food. And I had a ton of food fears. I didn't want it to break me out. I didn't want it to cause severe bloating and digestive issues and histamine reactions. So that was the third time. And now it's probably at that three month mark since leaving my home. So I moved in middle of June, 2020. And um, I went through a detoxification for mold. And that's been kind of an up and down journey. You can listen to some of my previous episodes on that. But 
whenever your body goes through stress, whether it is a positive stress, so childbirth, for example, there's a huge change in the body. So for me, getting out of that environment, I think my body was just like so relieved and started to actually function again. My immune system actually came back online, but that triggered a huge um, stress in the system and therefore my hair shed as a result. And it's only happening now because I think that stress um, when I moved and started my detox protocol, that was three months ago. So that's totally making sense as to what the normal hair loss timeline happens. It's usually not in the moments of the stress that it occurs. So say you go through a divorce or you get in a car crash or you're really sick. It's usually that three month mark that it starts and it's probably going to last a couple of months. Um, now that my body is kind of restoring and you can see based on these lab results as we go through, there's going to be a little bit of a time. Um, my body needs to restore these nutrients, but I feel a lot calmer than I would have done previously because I coach my clients through this all the time. I'm constantly trying to tell myself, okay, it's just temporary. My body's just going through like a shedding phase at the moment and I can't really do anything about that. First time it happened, I was so stressed. I would count how many hairs I'd lost. I wouldn't touch my hair. I wouldn't brush it. I'd wash it with baby shampoo. Um, I wouldn't tie it up. I'd just have it down or in clips instead of bobbles. So I'm definitely not getting into that obsession state again. But yeah, it's just interesting to, to see how my body's responding to that. And yeah, my labs are pretty terrible from that whole mold exposure. And the main way that it's affecting my health is by suppressing my immune system. So that's allowed for infections to take over my body, things like H. pylori, bad bacteria. Um, my digestion's compromised as a result, so I'm not breaking down my food and my nutrients properly. That's affecting my mineral balance. My minerals are like pretty depleted. And therefore, if my gut's not healthy, my minerals aren't healthy, my hormones are affected. So it's good to see them all together. And we're going to go through that today. This might be a good one actually for you to watch on YouTube um, because I will do a screen share and you can just kind of follow along. So if that's something that you're wanting to do, maybe go back and watch it again or pause this now and resume on YouTube. Otherwise, if that's not your thing and you want to keep listening, I have included copies of my results in the show notes as well so like pdf you can view them you can have a see what the results look like because it's not just like a page of results it's like very detailed and i'm not going to go through every single marker just the most important ones based on my results but these are really seriously worth the investment in my opinion and i haven't done any regular labs so i'm trying to show you how comprehensive these things are compared to regular stool tests regular blood work even but I haven't done um, anything too comprehensive from the doctors. For one, they don't really like me. They try to avoid, avoid they like pass me on to different doctors when I book in and I just don't wanna, don't wanna even visit at this moment in time. So I bought all of these tests a while ago um, and yeah, I paid for these out of my own pocket and they weren't sent to me or anything. They're not sponsored in any, by any means. But I did do another blood test. I'm not gonna show that because it's, literally just a page of results not very um, interesting to look at but I did last month a thyroid panel with additional nutrients so that showed that my thyroid antibodies were still elevated which would make sense because my body still hasn't kind of rebalanced after the mold exposure I'm expecting at the six to twelve month mark 
pulse moving is going to be word that tends to sh um, hopefully shifts. So I'm going to retest um, later in the year as well. Just I recommend everyone does that with thyroid, even if you're feeling pretty good at the moment, just to see what your baseline is. But my antibodies came back slightly elevated, indicating Hashimoto's, which I've had for a while now due to the mold exposure and my immune system being messed up. But my TSH, T4, T3 were optimal, so within normal ranges, which if I was to just look at that, that would make me think, oh, like everything's fine, nothing's wrong with my thyroid, my energy should be pretty good, but it doesn't make sense because I've had some dips in energy. But when we look at my mineral test, for example, it makes total sense as to why I'm experiencing some tiredness. My vitamin D was around 80, which is okay. It's not deficient, but as we're now heading into winter, I want that to be closer to 100 or 150. And I'm the type of person who can tolerate vitamin D supplementation. Some people, if they have high levels of calcium or something called a calcium shell, which we will look at my calcium level on the HTMA, if I had high calcium, I wouldn't go in with higher doses of vitamin D because it could actually make that worse because vitamin D increases calcium. Whereas for me, my calcium is very low and therefore I'm going to do a calcium supplement because it's hard for me to get enough through my diet because of my um, food sensitivities. So I am also going to be supplementing with high dose vitamin D to help with my okay vitamin D levels, but also my calcium. So this is why it's so important not just to even look at one lab result and think, oh, I need this. You need to look at your symptoms and other labs, put everything together. I know that most people can't do that for themselves. So that's why it is so important if you can to work with a practitioner. I'm not just saying this because I am a practitioner, but it's, I've seen people come to me and they've actually been making their issues worse, just trying to self-treat. And then my iron, my B12, my folate, so some of my B vitamins were normal, which is good but that some of the blood work doesn't look at minerals. So things like iron, yes, they are best tested through blood, not a mineral per test. Whereas zinc, that's not good tested through just regular serum blood values. A red blood cell is a little bit different, but most doctors don't do that. Um, whereas I really love checking most minerals through the HDMA. And yeah, I, I think I've given an overview um, but I've been in my new house for three and a half months, months, had some symptom flare-ups, especially when I was exposed to a moldy basement. I had major depression that day, major anxiety and fatigue. So I've become a blood, I have the nose of a blood home now when it comes to mold, which is kind of a gift, kind of frustrating because I'm smelling it and seeing it everywhere, but at least my home is safe. So now let's go through my lab results. And again, if you want to follow along, you can look at the PDFs attached in the show notes, or if you want to watch on YouTube, that might be a good idea as well. So give me a second to share my screen. We're going to start with the GI map stool test. And I, as I said, I ordered this about a year ago and it's just kind of been sitting on my um, office shelf for a while, just waiting for a good time to do it. And I've not been using stool tests as frequently with my clients because the more that I'm learning, even though this is probably the best of the best stool tests out there, when it comes to things like parasites, I've been doing deep dive into parasites recently and no test is good at looking at parasites. This one is 
quite good at looking at the protozoans, so the bigger parasites, and the most common ones that have been linked to things like IBS. This is a really good one. G uh, the conventional doctor's stool test or the gastro test aren't good, um, definitely not good. But there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of parasites out there. So to think that one test done with one sample, one day in time, is going to be accurate, not really. So I'd rather my clients, depending on the situation, if I really need them to do a test because I don't really want to guess in that situation, I'm someone who's been trained in this, so I'm good at identifying symptoms, particular symptoms that can be linked with gut infections and listen to the health history and get a pretty good idea. Um, and that's where I say, and I can kind of guess and assume what's going on and we can just give things a try. But for most people, it is important to test and not guess, especially if you're trying to do some of these things on your own. You need some data on paper to work with. Um, so yeah, let's look through my GI map results. So on this first page, this should be clear. So the middle result is, the middle column is my result. You can see that I've got some elevations or some presence of enterohemorrhagic E. coli. It's not elevated, so it's just present. And that was actually present last year as well. So I still think that that is something that needs to be addressed. That's one that can cause inflammation and damage to my intestines. So definitely need that one to be eliminated but my body hasn't been able to do that so far because the immune system's been so suppressed and that isn't the priority for my body then h pylori is um present so again not elevated but with certain infections it doesn't really matter if they're there and you're symptomatic you need to treat them whereas if i was feeling great i didn't have any digestive issues or health complaints at all and H. pylori was at just this level, not elevated but present, I probably wouldn't do anything about it because in some people it can live symbiotically or it can live kind of in harmony with the rest of the gut. But because I'm symptomatic and have some symptoms of low stomach acid and um, low levels of minerals, then I do want to eradicate this. This was also present last year, so I've not been able to manage it. I did a little bit of a gut protocol, but again, my body wasn't ready for it. So now and doing some treatment for H. pylori. So that should last maybe about two months. And because it's not elevated and none of these virulence factors are present, it's probably going to be a lot easier to get rid of. And it's a lot less of a serious strain. Whereas if these virulence factors were present or positive, that can make it more kind of nasty linked to cancers and gastritis, those types of things. And now onto normal bacterial flora. So one, or, one elevation here and there isn't a big deal because everyone's gut's a little bit different, but this pattern definitely isn't great. We've got some elevations in three good bacteria. So although they're good bacteria, it's a little bit too much of a good thing. So it can still indicate things like SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, because in that condition, the bacteria that are elevated aren't pathogenic. They're not bad guys. They're just in the wrong place in the body and there's too many of them. So they interfere with digestion, they steal your nutrients before you get to them. So this is definitely dysbiosis and to me indicates SIBO. Interestingly, one of the bacteria that's elevated is Clostridia. That one is highly linked to anxiety. So it makes sense as to why I'm prone to that. And a really important one, Akkermansia, is below detectable levels, which isn't great. It shouldn't be in very high amounts anyway, if you can see the reference range at the side, but it's really important in regulating inflammation and immunity in the body. 
Uh, so definitely want that to bounce back. There are some supplements that can directly increase this, but when I've seen it happen before, but when you just address the rest of the gut, little imbalances like this just normalize without any real focus. Um, again, next page, so dysbiotic bacteria. So these aren't pathogens like on the first page, but they can become problematic. So I give the, the analogy of them being like bullies. They may not be bad people, but when they're in the wrong crowd or there's too many of them grouped together, they can cause some issues. So a couple of elevations here, but again, this probably is due to SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, which I've had previously before. And then there's a section on autoimmune triggers. So this doesn't mean that you have an autoimmune condition and it doesn't mean that you're going to get an autoimmune condition. There's just been studies showing that certain bacteria have been correlated with certain autoimmune conditions. So I have two present, again, not elevated, but present. So we have to put this into the context of the person as well. If I have a very strong family history of autoimmunity, which I have, on my mum's side, there is um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. On my dad's side, there's psoriasis. So that's why I really need to be careful about my gut health and um, long-term gluten-free diet. That's just something I'm doing and have control over to keep me hopefully healthy and prevent some of these autoimmune conditions. I've already got Hashimoto's in um, present at the moment. But once you have one autoimmune condition, you're actually more likely to develop, I think three, three times more likely to develop another one. Um, celiac disease and Hashimoto's are very commonly linked together. Um, lupus is another one that's often present in a lot of people. So again, I can't really control the air pollution or anything like that, but I can control what I put in my mouth, what I um, do in my lifestyle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. But the ones that I have present, Prevotella and Fusobacterium, these are both residents of the oral microbiome. So oral health is really important. So I'm wearing braces at the moment, so whether that's playing a role as well, I'm definitely going to up my oral hygiene game and just with everything that I'm learning. Again, there's so much research coming out, even in the conventional medical um, mainstream realm. So you can expect to hear a lot more about the oral microbiome and dental health. I don't have any mercury fillings. I've never had a filling in my life or a cavity, um, but I did notice my teeth losing kind of density or like mineral kind of going a little bit see-through at the bottom, which makes sense now that I see my, my mineral results on the HTMA. So if you're also dealing with anything like that, it could be mineral related. Okay, so Prevotella, is one that is definitely linked to autoimmune thyroid um, things like rheumatoid arthritis as well whereas fusobacterium is very common that's linked to more gastrointestinal inflammation my yeast and fungus markers are negative this time they've never been elevated but last year there was some candida present and this isn't even a good test to look at candida so even if it comes back just present, not even elevated, it's quite significant. So last year, remember, I was still in the mold and my, my immune system was really suppressed at that point. So I definitely still think I have issues with mycotoxins in yeast internally. That's going to take a while longer to get rid of, but at least it's not showing now on my stool test. So maybe it's come down in numbers. I've never had, I never really see these viruses come back anyway, so I don't really like this part of the test. And there's hundreds of viruses 
and people can still have things like Epstein-Barr and cytomegalovirus when this comes back negative. So not really a fan of this section of the test. And parasites, so previously um, in I think like 2016, 2017, maybe a little bit later, I did have two parasites present on the stool test and they were Dientamoeba fragilis, Blastocystis hominis, and it took me a while to actually get rid of them. So in the past couple of years, nothing has showed up on the GI map stool test for parasites. But if you heard about my recent experience with a new parasite cleanse I've been testing out and learning about, I definitely have parasites and I can guarantee that you do as well if you've never done, well, I say I've, I've done parasite cleansing before. I've done about 50 gut protocols in my life and this was the most effective parasite cleanse that I've ever done. And I passed literal parasites or worms, unidentified objects, like a few days before this test and a few days after. So as I was saying, the no stool test is great at looking at parasites, but I definitely have them. And then worms, I hardly ever see those come back either. And then very last section is my intestinal health. So this is really... Um, really good part of the test. I like this part. So the first one, steatocrit, is a marker of fat in the stool. That's not a good thing. So we don't, we want this to be DL, below detectable levels, um, or a zero in everyone. And the reference ranges on this part of the test aren't great. So the I want um, different numbers when it comes to optimal health. So this should be a zero, and mine is. So that shows that I'm actually breaking down and digesting my food correctly, my healthy fats which is good because I have a lot of them in my diet. And if it has been previously abnormal, so it has been elevated, so that indicated some stagnation and sluggishness in my liver, gallbladder, and bioflow. Again, because of mycotoxins, some of them can really clog up the liver bile duct, as can parasites such as strongyloides. My elastase is suboptimal. So even though the reference range is 200, I want mine to be closer to 500 for optimal health. And um, this is because my um, minerals are imbalanced, which we'll come on to, and because I have H. pylori, that's messing with my stomach acid and my pancreatic enzyme production. So it's meaning that I'm not actually breaking down all of this healthy food that I'm eating. I'm not fully benefiting from that. So hopefully this bounces back once those are improved. Next is um, beta-glucuronidase. So when this is elevated, this can mean that you're recirculating um, some toxins, including estrogen or estrogen that's been used back into the system. Isn't great. So again, this is common with mold issues and um, congested sluggish liver detoxification. Um, a nutrient that could help someone like me in this case would be calcium deglucurate. Um, I'm going to be adding that in for about two months and that should reduce this dose. But if you don't know what's going on with you, maybe you have some similar symptoms to me, please don't just start taking that product because I mentioned it, because you might have normal or low levels and you taking that could actually lower your estrogen further and that may not be necessary. So yeah, don't just assume that you have that issue as well. Um, blood in the stool was negative and it always has been. Um, that's nothing that I've ever really struggled with. And then... Immune response, first one is secretory IgA. This is a marker of my immune function in the gut. So that's where 80% of our immune system lives. And I describe this as being like a thick mucus that lines your entire digestive tract. So from mouth to anus, that's what houses the good bacteria. So that's where they live. 
and that protects the gut from becoming leaky and yeah if it's all dried up and shriveled away there's nowhere for the good guys to live so the uremine system is going to be suppressed and you're very sensitive and delicate gut lining which is around one cell thick in certain places um, is going to be more susceptible to damage and therefore leaky gut or the fancy name is intestinal permeability mine at one point i think if i remember correctly it was like 30 and now it's 402 for me ideal levels are between one and two thousand so that very low secretory IgA in about 2018 was one of the first things to start um, making me look further into mold illness because stress, yes, depletes this marker, but it shouldn't be that extremely deficient. Um, there are some genetics as well, but I don't think that's the case for me because it has been a, a little bit higher in the past. Um, it's known as an IgA deficiency, common with celiac disease, but this this elevation now that i have um from it to go to 30 to about 402 is really a positive sign there's still a way i want it about 600 points higher than it is currently but it does take a while to bounce back and this is as a result of me step one getting out of the environment but also doing immune supportive things like binders and um, herbal formulas just basic nutrients like vitamin A, vitamin D, healthy diet, organic food, all of that. So I'm really happy with this, this increase, but there's still a bit of a way to go. My gluten sensitivity marker was normal, but that's because I'm not eating gluten um, hardly ever. So that isn't totally accurate. You can't take this and think, oh, I'm fine with gluten because it's not accurate when you've not been eating it. And again, this isn't a gold standard test for gluten sensitivity. That needs to be done through a biopsy so an endoscopy camera with a biopsy of the small intestine that's the gold standard even not even the blood testing that's done that's not 100 accurate and then my calprotectin is good so even though there's all of this stuff going on my inflammatory marker um, this is one that's used to track inflammatory bowel disease so i've never had it massively elevated and there is some inflammation though but it's not this type of serious inflammation that i'm talking about so I want this as close to zero as possible, um, ideally less than 10, but it's an 11 and that can shift day to day. So that is my stool test result. Um, it does tie into my hormones, which we're going to come on to, and also my minerals. So let's now see which one comes up next. So let's do my minerals now. And I always say that the Dutch hormone test, which we'll do last, should be one of the last things that you do. I did them all together because I had to use them and I already had them available and I wanted to do everything at once. But if you had to prioritize, you would start with minerals, nutrients, and then your gut health because hormones are the followers. So they're not the ones to go out of whack on first or for no reason at all. It's as a result of these other issues. So up here, we're given a metabolic type. Mine is a fast metabolic type which it has been in the previous testing that I've done as well. You have to be one or the other. So you have to be a fast or a slow metabolic type. They both have positives and negatives associated with them. But I'm one of the rare unicorns of the world. 20% of the population um, are fast. 80% of the population are slow. So this just means that overall, my adrenals and my thyroid tend to be a little bit more overactive than underactive. And you can switch. So over time, if I was to carry on um, and my body being very stressed and inflamed, 
then I probably would crash at some point and become a slow metabolic type. And there's a particular ratio that's calculated that. So when we come on to it, I'll explain exactly how this was determined. And you have to be one or the other categories, but it's the goal to have a balanced, balanced nervous system. So that's what we're going to see. And this blue box is the main part of the test. So rather than kind of spot treating every single mineral, um, if, we're look, if you're looking at this test now, you can see that something's really low. Some things are getting a little bit high, um, the high end of normal. We want to be somewhere in the, the middle, like the white reference range. So rather than just spot treating every single individual mineral, my focus is on the first four minerals. These are known as the core four or the master, kind of the, the macro or master minerals. When they're in balance, the other trace minerals like zinc and manganese and selenium tend to just regulate themselves. Whereas when they're out of whack, the others just tend to be all over the place. So my focus for the next few months is going to be on the first four. And because my body is a fast metabolic type or oxidizer is the other term. So if I use those interchangeably, they just mean the same thing. But when you are a fast metabolic type, you tend to have low levels of certain minerals, calcium, magnesium, whereas the sodium and potassium can be higher in comparison. But you do need to be fully trained in this to understand and interpret um, because some things when they're high, it actually means that you're deficient. So that's why this test can sometimes get a bad rap. It's because, and people don't believe it's accurate, it's because they're not reading it correctly. So you need to be trained to do that. So the first one is calcium. Ideal is around a 42. I'm at a 15. And I've been low the last time I tested as well. Calcium is a relaxant mineral. So with, it's like a two-way street. With me being physically stressed, that's burned through my calcium. But then me having a low calcium level is causing me to be physically tense and stressed as well. Um, and I do get some muscle cramps and twitches, which can be as a result of low calcium and or magnesium. The fact that I don't have dairy products in my diet is obviously a risk factor. And dairy is probably the best source of calcium out there. And um, people say that you can get calcium from plant-based foods, which is true, but they're often bound to lectins and phytic acid and things like that. So it might look like there's a lot on the nutrition facts, but when your body absorbs it, it gets blocked. So it's not as actually nutrient dense with things like zinc as you expected. So I've had to resort to a calcium supplement because these levels are extremely low and I can't do dairy at the moment. Hopefully in the future, I'll be able to tolerate it. And a lot of the calcium rich um, foods, like the non-dairy forms, are high in histamine. And I have mast cell activation syndrome. So I can't do things like oily fish with uh, like tinned fish that has the bones in there. And I can't do a lot of spinach, which is another food that does have some calcium in, but not great amounts anyway. So I've resorted to a calcium supplement, but I don't recommend. So if you, again, just here, I'm making this disclaimer throughout. If you hear, oh, I also have, um, have anxiety and I don't have dairy, so I'm going to do a calcium supplement, then you're probably, you might not be doing the right thing. And that could actually make you worse. If you had a high calcium level, which some people do, I tend to find that it's more of the hypothyroid people, the very metabolically slow people have a high calcium level. Those with trauma um, have a high calcium level. So that would be the last thing that you'd want to do is add in a calcium supplement. And you could still have anxiety and fatigue whether it's high or low. So I lo absolutely love this test. 
Next is magnesium. Ideal is around a six. I'm at a 1.4, which is really low. I always say if it gets to like the, between the one and two range, that can be like heart attack territory. Um, obviously, if other risk factors were involved, but magnesium is involved in over 500 things in the body. So me having a low level of magnesium, that in itself is going to be causing my body not to function 100%. Um, in so many ways, liver detoxification, ovulation, brain function, neurotransmitter, energy production, everything. And I have been supplementing with magnesium for years, but I did reduce my dosage because I was just doing so many other supplements and it was getting a little bit pricey. So I reduced my magnesium just to a maintenance dose, but I need to go back to a therapeutic dose of magnesium to really build these levels. And I'm doing all the different things, the sprays, the baths, and um, supplements, food, everything I can, because it's really important that I boost my level of magnesium up. But I'm burning through magnesium rapidly because my body is physically stressed. And when you're stressed, your needs for nutrients increase. And then my sodium. So compared to last year, my sodium was extremely high. I think it was around 100. And that doesn't mean that I was eating too much salt in my diet. It meant that I was extremely inflamed. And remember that salt increases water retention. And that's why I was so puffy, so inflamed and holding on to, I think I've lost like 10 pounds um, and there's still more to lose. But my sodium's now dropped to an 18, which is within um, kind of normal ranges. I want it to be a little bit higher, but um, there's nothing in particular I'm going to do for this. But yeah, that just shows within, well, I tested... Um, about a year ago I think but within the last three months I think that's only the time that my, my sodium level has dropped very significantly very rapidly to a normal level and then my potassium is pretty good which I'm happy about usually potassium can be um, very high indicating a loss very low indicating a deficiency so mine is actually normal so I've got I'd say two out of the four of the core four minerals out of range so throughout the rest of the test, there were some imbalances, but I'm just going to focus on the first two. And that's going to make a huge difference to my metabolism, my cellular energy, my hormones, etc. So I'm not going to go through every single marker in the rest of the test. But the main takeaways is that I had low levels of zinc, which I expected because of the H. pylori. It suppresses your stomach acid and your absorption of zinc. Zinc's crucial for immunity. So my body's just been burning through my zinc stores rapidly. And my, what else did I want to mention? My copper um, is depleted. So with fast metabolic types, that is common. Um, whereas slow metabolic types, they tend to accumulate copper um, and can lead to something called copper toxicity, where the, the copper is just kind of floating around, causing problems, particularly causing high estrogen, PMS, anxiety, mental health issues, fungal infections. But copper's a Goldilocks nutrient, so it can't be too high and it can't be too low. Mine being a little bit too low is um, also not a great thing because it's involved in histamine regulation. So this is partly why I'm still sensitive to histamine and have these mast cell reactions. Copper's involved in DAO enzyme production. So the DAO enzyme, along with the HNMT enzyme, um, that one works in the liver, DAO resides in the gut. So I've got a double whammy going on. I've got SIBO, so that the enzyme's going to be physically damaged because it lives within the gut lining. And whenever you have some sort of infection, that 
enzyme can be damaged. Similar to when people have food poisoning or go on antibiotics and afterwards they can't tolerate dairy because they, the lactase enzyme in the intestine gets damaged. The same thing, but with histamine. But I also don't have enough copper to build the DAO enzyme. So double whammy going on. So definitely going to address that. And then I like to know like how depleted or high or how high a mineral is but actually the ratio between the two is actually really important and it's um, one of the best things about this test because it looks at that as well so the first one of the, uh, the ratios would be how my metabolic type was determined so with me being a fast metabolic type this is the one that they've used to calculate that so it's the calcium to phosphorus ratio ideally this should be around a 2.6 Mine is low, so that indicates parasympathetic uh, sympathetic dominance. So I'm in fight and flight mode, which makes sense with what's been going on. So I want to increase this, and the best way that I'm going to do that is through increasing my calcium intake. The second ratio, sodium to potassium, is the vitality ratio. Mine is borderline here, so I don't know if it's been depleted in the past and if it's just improving or it's on its way down but I'm kind of borderline exhaustion with my cells. Um, I want this to be around a 2.4. Uh, so this could be associated with low stomach acid, allergies, um, and liver imbalances as well. Calcium to potassium is the thyroid ratio. And if you remember on my blood test, my thyroid levels were pretty good, apart from the elevated thyroid antibodies. But on this, it's showing that my thyroid is a little bit overactive. And um, this is also common with Hashimoto, so elevated antibodies. In the initial stages, um, it can cause hypo and hyper, so low and high thyroid symptoms. So it's not uncommon for one day someone to be very tired and very sluggish and cold and constipated. And then maybe the next week they feel overactive. So they feel anxious and jittery and sweaty and they have loose stools that's common in the initial stages. And then over time, if those antibodies are allowed to remain elevated, they become, the thyroid becomes destroyed from the autoimmune process and they become constantly hypothyroid and sluggish and eventually require a medication. My zinc and copper hormone ratio is um, a bit abnormal as well, because if you remember, I had both low zinc and low copper. Zinc is associated with testosterone and progesterone. Copper is associated with estrogen. So my imbalance shows that I need more zinc and more copper. And this could be affecting my hormones, my skin, and contributing to PCOS type symptoms. My sodium to magnesium level is the adrenal ratio. And my level being above six, it's at 12.8, indicates excessive adrenals and um, inflammation, aggressiveness, type A personality, check, 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 high blood sugar, impulsiveness, definitely resonates with what's going on with me and some of my personality traits. Obviously, some of that is just who I am as a person. Some of it is like physiologically causing me to be more of those things. But previously, my last test, this was through the roof, extremely high because I was extremely inflamed. So to me, this is a positive it's so much better than it was but still a way to go my blood sugar ratio calcium to magnesium is um, borderline so again last time it was imbalanced and i was really hyperglycemic so high blood sugar 
And if you remember me doing my glucometer test, my insulin and my blood sugar were through the roof really high. And no wonder my PCOS symptoms were, were bad. But that wasn't a result of the food. My body was just chronically imbalanced. So now it's borderline. So it's um, definitely improved. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that I don't need to worry about blood sugar. Everyone does. And then last one, I don't really like this marker because it's the infection ratio and it almost always comes back normal. And as we've seen on the stool test, I do have some infections and I have parasites and I have mold. So this has come back normal, but I don't really like that aspect of the test. And then very last thing I want to show you is um, heavy metals. So not all of these are harmful on this green box. So there's two sets of heavy metals this test shows. This green box, not all of them are bad. So metals like bismuth and vanadium are actually good. So I've got high normal levels of those, whereas zirconium isn't really great, but I'm not totally elevated at this moment in time. So I'm not really gonna worry about that. Part of the protocol I'm doing will eventually address heavy metals, but I'm not up to that stage yet and I'm not ready to dive into that. And same as last year, my arsenic is elevated and this could be coming from um, I do eat chicken quite frequently, even though it's organic. I think that's may, probably the main exposure. Otherwise, I do eat some seafood. I just get it from my regular supermarket. So for those in the UK, I just get the frozen taste the difference prawns from Sainsbury's. But I don't think they're the best quality, but I really love them. So I eat them like once a week or so. So maybe that's coming, that's providing the arsenic because seafood um, chicken products, eggs and rice. I don't eat any rice really, so it's not that. But it could just be that my body has accumulated this over the years and it's just not been strong enough to actually get rid of it. Um, so that will be part of the heavy metal protocol that I'm doing later, um, probably next year when my body's a little bit stronger. So that is the HTMA. As you can see, amazing test, especially when someone has symptoms or they don't really have any diagnosis or they have multiple diagnoses and the whole body is affected. This one's great because minerals are like the spark plugs of the body. So when the imbalance, everything's great, everything can function, the immune system can work, stomach acid can be produced. But when it's not, everything, nothing can heal. Like so your hormones won't be functioning, your liver, your detox. So this is one of my favorite tests. And then very last test, as I said, if you have to prioritize anything, it probably wouldn't be the Dutch test unless you've tried, um, like you've tried everything else and you just really want to know what's going on and if you're ovulating and what your adrenals are like. So let's now go through this. So this needs to be done at a particular time of the cycle if you're doing this one. And there's another one called the Dutch cycle mapping test where it goes through each month um, exactly what your hormone levels are doing. So that one's good if someone's trying to conceive um, or they have an irregular cycle or no period that one would be the better one to go with so i chose the dutch complete and this one is great to um, check sex hormones and also adrenal hormones adrenals are crucially important and they're influenced by stress when i say stress i mean physical mental emotional chemical all of that so starting on the first page this is really just an overview of the next one to come so up here, we're going to go on, we'll go into these in more detail actually on the next page, but this part is important. So bottom right dial here, if you can see, it's known as metabolized cortisol or total production. So this is how much cortisol your adrenals can actually produce. 
So if you've ever done a saliva test for cortisol or you've heard of people doing that, that's kind of the old fashioned way of doing it. And that would only look at your free cortisol. So the dial to the left here. And you can see they're like totally different results for a lot of people. So it's not an accurate way to check your cortisol. Whereas this metabolized cortisol, that tells me how strong my adrenals are. So I've had cortisol all over the place in the past. It's been really high. It's been um, kind of midway. And now it's on the low end of ideal. It's still within normal ranges, but I want it to be somewhere in the middle for most of these dials. Overall, my adrenals are doing a good job at functioning. My free cortisol is normal, kind of halfway where I'd like it to be. And you can see my cortisol pattern is pretty perfect. So this is as a result of my, um, my what's the word? My obsession with circadian rhythm. So in the morning, I get sunlight. I open up my curtains. I get outside for a walk in the daytime without any sunglasses on. In the evening, when the sun goes down, I mimic that inside my home. I put on my um, blue light blocking glasses as soon as the sun sets. I go to bed early, around half nine, ten. And throughout the day, I'm on my laptop and my phone all day. And I always have the night shift mode on, even throughout the day, because I'm getting enough sunlight as it is. So if you have to, if you have to just switch that on and off or automatically set that up to shift once the sun sets, that's fine. But I prefer just to reduce an extra stress on the body by turning it on constantly. So I don't even need to think about it. So my pattern is really good. So it's increasing first thing in the morning when I want it to, when I open my eyes. And then throughout the day, in the afternoon, it's sloping down like it should. And at night, it's dropping again, but not too many crashes and um, extreme spikes and crashes. So completely normal function. But my DHEA level is still elevated. And this has been a problem every single Dutch test I've ever done. It's had high DHEA. And this is contributing to my PCOS symptoms. So I always struggle with thinking, do I actually have true PCOS? Um, driven by my ovaries or do I just have adrenals that are just pumping out too many male hormones because I'm stressed so it, it is technically still classed as PCOS but it's good to know like which type you have because the protocol is going to be different so this high DHEA is telling me that my um, body is trying to protect me against chronic cortisol and um, inflammation in the body and it produces this DHEA to kind of buffer the negative effects of cortisol so mine is elevated above the reference range and DHA is a pro-hormone. So it's a mother hormone. It gives birth to testosterone, DHEAS, and some of the other androgens like um, androsterone or androstenedione. This is really important. And if you've got high DHA, you probably have high elevations in hormones and this can contribute to hair loss, hormonal acne, oily skin, just anything PCOS or androgen related, it can be coming from this high DHA. So this is something that I definitely want to bring down, but it still is a result of my mold exposure. Your mold, when you're exposed to mold, your body is constantly trying to protect you. So for you, this might just be due to chronic stress, just mental and emotional work stress. Could be due to overexercising. That's another one I see to cause this. Some people genetically, they're just more likely to produce a lot but usually there's some sort of answer um, at play. And then next page, you can see feeding into this, um, this funnel is DHA again. Remember that I have very high levels of DHA, so some of these are going to be elevated as well because that's um, where it's coming from. 
So down here, I've got some elevations in etiocalanolone and androsterone, and they're also androgens. So this is where um, some of my acne tendencies can come from. And that's been the case for a while as well. And then DHEA also feeds off into DHEAS. Whenever I see this pattern of high DHEA and low DHEAS, that's because of inflammation, which is useful, but it doesn't really tell us where the inflammation is coming from. So for me, I know where it's coming from, but for you, you might need to do a little bit more of an investigation. Um, and that's because inflammation blocks the sulfation pathway. So that S on the end, that indicates sulfation. And my testosterone is low. And another common um, sign of inflammation and even mold illness and so mold exposure, particularly men, um, for women, mold exposure can cause high testosterone or really low testosterone. And most people, when they hear about acne and PCOS, they think, oh, I need to do everything to reduce my testosterone. And things like sol palmetto and um, zinc, or zinc can actually do both. So things like spearmint tea and flax seeds. Flax seeds would be really terrible for me because they'd reduce this testosterone even further. That's why blanket statements just aren't the best. And having low testosterone isn't good. So we hear of high testosterone being a bad thing. If you have low testosterone, you're going to have issues with your metabolism and weight, inability to gain muscle, anxiety, many different things. My progesterone is very low. Um, at least I ovulated, which is good because the last few months of living in my previous home, I wasn't ovulating because my body, due to the lockdown that we had, I was in the home 24-7. I wasn't at the gym. I wasn't sweating. I'd um, prior to that been working. I left my other job last year. So I was at least at the house a few days a week working. But yeah, my, my hormones really got shut down because my brain was just so inflamed and wasn't connecting to my ovaries. So I wasn't ovulating. So this, this is the third month of me being at the home. And I think this is the first month that I've actually ovulated um, naturally again for a while. So it's going to take a while for it to bounce back and become more regular. It's that first ovulation that's usually the hardest to achieve. And then after that, your body gets into the swing of things again. But it's definitely on the low end of normal. Uh, we want to be somewhere in the middle of the yellow stars. If you're looking on the screen, the purple bands are postmenopausal. I've definitely been there a few times on testing. Um, sometimes if you test on the wrong day, it's incorrect. Um, and if you tested earlier on in the cycle, it's normal for you not to have any progesterone. Same with blood testing. So always make sure that you track your temperatures or your cervical mucus and just body signs so that when you do ovulate, you can count forward five to seven days. And then that's the best time to test progesterone. Whereas if you're not really sure when you're ovulating, but you have a pretty regular cycle, I usually recommend testing about five to seven days before your period's due. And that's going to give you a good, good insight. Whereas if you test on your period or just after, that's not going to be accurate. My estrogens are actually pretty good. So I'm happy with my estrogen levels. I've never really had an issue with estrogen, um, apart from I had low estrogen when I was severely underweight. And that's because body fat levels actually produce estrogen. So that's not a good thing either. That's why you need a little bit of fat or body fat meat on your bones. My detoxification of estrogen during phase one is really good. So I'm in like kind of perfect levels with that. So that shows healthy phase one pathway. But my phase two is quite sluggish. And if you remember to the GI map test that I showed you 
my glucuronidase, beta-glucuronidase was high. So my phase three is also sluggish. So that is causing me to have some estrogen dominance, even though my estrogen levels aren't high. So that term estrogen dominance, it could mean that you have normal levels of estrogen, but it's not getting into the system. It could mean that you have normal levels of estrogen, but really low levels of progesterone, which is also the case for me. Or it could mean that you have very high levels of estrogen because of being overweight or being exposed to environmental um, estrogens. Certain mycotoxins are also estrogenic, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's having some sort of an effect as well. But phase two being sluggish can indicate low levels of methylation in the body. I have a genetic weak, uh, predisposition for this to happen, so it's not surprising that this is low. Um, I have a genetic mutation in the COMT enzyme, which you can see here, and that predisposes me to having um, more risk of developing estrogen dominance and anxiety and poor detoxification. So an increase of magnesium and the HTMA also confirmed that I need much more. Vitamin B6 is really important for me as is methylation support like methylfolate, B12, etc., which I've been slacking on because I've been prioritizing other things. But your body needs a lot of support. Um, big imbalances calls for a big protocol, unfortunately. So it's always good to do um, kind of preventative work. I wish I'd known about the mold issue many years ago, but that's just how it goes. And then last couple of things now. So my melatonin, this test also checks that, which is amazing. You can't really test that in any other way. And this is important not just for sleep, but also antioxidant pr protection. So reducing inflammation in the body. Um, if you have extremely low levels of melatonin, that can be another insight into mold illness. Um, but it could also just be that you're doing night shifts or being on your phone late at night and not sleeping well. I've never really had an issue with sleep, which I'm happy about. This page is just an overview of what we've been through. Um, interestingly, I'm producing a little bit more cortisone in the body. So that shows that my body's in kind of a protective mode again, because of the inflammation and the environmental toxicity that I experienced. Last test, um, I love this test as well because it looks at certain nutrient markers and neurotransmitters. And some of these, like B12 and B6, are actually much more accurate than the blood tests that are done. So with a blood test, if you've been told that your B12 is normal, um, it's only showing what's available in your blood. This is showing what's actually getting into the cell. So methylmalonic acid is the most, like the gold standard for B12. So it's showing that mine is normal. I could probably do with some additional support just to help with the methylation, but I'm definitely not deficient. Same with B6. My glutathione marker is elevated, so that can indicate a deficiency if it's high or if it's low. And again, it makes sense with mold illness, your glutathione and antioxidant production is suppressed. That's how mold really wrecks your health. It causes inflammation, but then it stops your body from combating that on its own and it's been way higher in the past so this has actually reduced quite a lot it's just one over that upper reference range now but I want this to be a lot lower than it is currently and that's going to just take time my dopamine metabolite HVA is elevated this can be due to copper or vitamin c deficiency um, we saw in the HDMA that I have a vitamin c deficiency so can you see how everything really makes sense and it kind of confirms my symptoms, plus all of these things are telling me exactly what I need, rather than me just looking online, 
supplements for mold illness or PCOS and taking like 50 things, I can really bring it down to a good five to 10 supplements that really my body needs and are going to make the biggest difference. And HVA can also make you um, more pleasure seeking or reward seeking. So this again may just be my personality, but I'm very like research focused. So I like to um, look for information and I'm always kind of needing to keep my brain distracted. Like if I go on a walk, I'm constantly listening to a podcast, trying to learn. I know that that's not great, but I love it. So you have to pick your poisons. My adrenaline marker was within normal range. Melatonin, we've seen that on the other page, that was normal. And my oxidative stress marker is within the normal range, but I would like this to be lower because I've had that elevated in the past, which is really not a good thing. And the lab, the first time it was elevated, I was only like 21. And oh no, I was like 23, now I'm 26 um, for reference. They were actually concerned because they don't usually see it as high as mine was. And it can lead to things like cancers. So that, when, that was when I had no idea about histamine intolerance or mold. So I was eating all of these foods. I was chronically inflamed. I was overweight. I was puffy. I had a face full of acne. So my body was extremely sick at that point. So now it's within the normal range, but I would like that to be a little bit lower just for long-term health and compared to what I know I can achieve. So that is everything. Oh my gosh, that was a lot of information. Let me stop sharing my screen. Um, hopefully that's back onto my face. But you can see how amazing these lab tests are. I think they are absolutely worth every single penny. And if you are struggling with any symptom really, but particularly digestive issues, acne, hair loss, fatigue, anxiety, you're in, uh, unable to lose weight, that there are answers out there. So don't just be um, told that everything's fine, you're normal, it's all in your head by your doctors, they literally don't know about these tests. So if you don't get angry with them. They're not like holding anything back from you. They literally don't know that there's all of this information and all of these answers available. Um, whereas a practitioner like myself, we know that the body when given the right environment, the right building blocks, the right tools can heal and it can do amazing things. And my health is so much better than where it was even just last year or six months ago. But I know that there's another level. So never stop working on your health. If you feel like you've got to 100%, go further. And you probably think back and think, oh my God, that symptom was not normal. I thought my energy was good then, but I could actually feel 20 times better. So that's always something in the back of my mind. Keep striving. And it's never going to be perfect. There's going to be things that pop up. But if you just keep going, keep being consistent, resilient, and patient, things really do pay off. So invest in your health, get some answers, get help. I do a monthly, a yearly MLT. Even I will continue to do that when I actually feel great and I don't have any of these issues anymore. I will continue to do that because it's better being proactive than waiting until you get a medical diagnosis before actually doing something about it. So all of those symptoms I just listed are common, but they're definitely not normal and you don't have to live and suffer with them. So hope you enjoyed that. Definitely leave me a rating or review if you like this type of episode. Let me know, send me a DM, share this on your Instagram stories. I would greatly appreciate it. I want to spread the word. When you know this stuff, guys, you want to shout it from the rooftop. So I might seem annoying. I might seem repetitive with what I'm saying, but it's because you need this information and I want you to implement it um, because everything that you do now will also be affecting your health later in life and you can reduce your risk of some of these 
cancers um, and diseases. Like cancer used to be not as common. Now it's one in two people, which is ridiculous. And we're scared into thinking that we're going to be, we're going to succumb to some of these issues and it's inevitable. Or if it's just the random um, bad luck that people get, but absolutely not. Cancer is 90% environment, 10% genetic, even 5% genetic sometimes, 95% environment. So bear that in mind. Again, hope you enjoyed this. Join me next week for my guest, Scott Falsgren. We're talking about Lyme disease and it's a pretty in-depth conversation. Even if you're not struggling with Lyme disease, I want you to be aware of some of the symptoms and solutions because it's becoming more and more, um, I don't know if it's becoming more recognised or just more rampant. And I want you to have the tools and understand that it's not something that you have to let take over and destroy your life. Even if it's not Lyme that you're struggling with and it's some sort of other chronic or long-term health condition, you can adapt some of his step-by-step process in healing that with whatever you're going through as well. So that will be next week. And let me know if there's any other guests that you'd like me to interview. I'm kind of batch creating a lot of content at the moment or any solo episodes that you'd like me to do, whether you like the Q&A sessions versus um, kind of ask me anything or the, the client cases, things like this please let me know. I want to make what you guys enjoy. So enjoy the rest of your week and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating or review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.